0: You're listening to a sermon from LifeGate Church of Seguin, Texas. You can find out more about us at www.lifegatesegin.com. Let's pray. Father, even this morning, you have ministered to my heart. Through the singing of your word, you've been here with us this morning in such a deep way. I almost feel embarrassed to preach because you've done it so well already. Thank you for the talented individuals we have here who can lead us in music and lead us to your throne. And As we turn our eyes to Jesus, we're so grateful that, that we have that opportunity. Thank you for ministering to our hearts through your Holy Spirit, Father. I, uh, you've laid a, a message on my heart, um, and I pray that that message would land on hearts, not just in minds. I pray, Lord, that you would speak your word, even using my feeble words before you. So Lord, just in these next few minutes, change our lives to be Christ-like. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Sorry, guys. the, uh, The singing this morning just ate me up. And, uh, the last three weeks, we've had the opportunity to, to see what our mission is as a church. And we've gone on, Josh has done a remarkably good job, a wonderful job of showing us that we're ministers to our neighbors and to the nations and to the generations, and that has been a job that we take, we look at it as, as a task uh, with great joy and, and great fulfillment, and we're, uh, the, the challenge of that just continues to lay before us. Now, to finish that out, I'm going to read, and we're going to look at one of the most encouraging verses in the Bible. If you will turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. This will blow your socks off. As many of you know, 1 Corinthians was probably a rough letter for Paul to write. I'm certain that it was a rough letter for them to receive. And here at the end of the 15th chapter, toward the end of the letter, is what he says in the 58th verse. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. One of the scariest movies in my childhood was The Wizard of Oz. (laughs) The Wicked Witch of the West gave me nightmares. (laughs) The story is of Dorothy, a young farm girl swept up by a tornado from her Kansas farm to an incredibly strange world of colorful landscapes, little people called munchkins, talking scarecrows, fearful lions, a rusty tin man, and a yellow brick road. The only way for her to return back to her home in Kansas was to follow the yellow brick road to the great city of Oz. And maybe... The Wizard of Oz would help her return to her home. Her new friends and companions were looking for miracles also. The Scarecrow wanted a brain, and the Lion wanted and needed courage. Otherwise, what kind of lion would he be? The Tin Man wanted a heart. Her adventurous journey. Was hindered by the nefarious wicked witch of the West and her flying monkeys. The perilous journey ended in heartbreaking disappointment for Dorothy as she realized that her long journey was indeed in vain. None of her hopes were going to be fulfilled. All of her efforts and struggles ended in defeat. She had placed her hope and confidence in the benevolent, all-powerful Wizard of Oz, who was actually only a man behind a curtain. Have you ever felt that way? All your hopes and efforts were done in vain. Most of us would feel that buying a lottery ticket in hopes of a big payoff would definitely be something done in vain. Wasted. That dollar I wasted. Wasted. Some of us have labored labored diligently on an extra credit project in school or at work to achieve that excellent grade or promotion only to be disappointed by the grade on the report card or the other worker being promoted. Truly, all of us has felt like we've done some things in vain. At the end, we would ask why. Why should I work so hard? Or why should I hope in something I have no control over? The title of the sermon is, Your labor is not in vain. Here in this single verse, toward the end of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, Paul encourages his brothers in the faith with the assurance that their Christian walk is indeed worth it. He restores hope and expectation with the words, in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. When we look back in the text, as we do anytime we see that word, therefore, so this verse starts, therefore, my beloved brothers, anytime you see therefore, you got to look Backwards. And understand why this verse is there. What's it there for? And so we see that it follows a long defense of the importance of the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15 is the most extensive teaching in the New Testament on the resurrection. Apparently, the Corinthian church was being led astray by false teachers, either denying the resurrection of Christ or questioning whether followers of Christ will indeed be resurrected if they died before his return. In the first 11 verses, Paul clearly points to the veracity and the importance of the bodily resurrection of Christ. In verses 3 through 5, Paul gives probably the most succinct description of the gospel. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. The risen Christ was seen by multitudes verifying the bodily resurrection. These first 11 verses show us the basis for our faith, which is the bodily resurrection of Christ. In the next section, verses 12 through 34, Paul argues that if Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. And there's no bodily resurrection of followers of Christ. He also proves that if Christ was raised, that we can have the assurance that the dead in Christ will be raised to eternal life. In verses 35 through 58, he explains that because of Christ's resurrection, our resurrection will be as an imperishable body to eternal life. The power that raised Jesus from the dead will be giving us a new imperishable eternal body. Christ was and is victorious over death and sin, and we also are victorious. Because of what Christ has done. This afternoon or soon, sit down and read through that chapter. That will be such a blessing to you and you'll have a better understanding of what the resurrection of Jesus is all about. Now let's look back at the verse. Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brothers... Looking back at the first chapter, see how Paul first addresses his brothers of the faith. Look back at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to read a few verses here, starting in verse 2. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed about you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. He begins the letter to the church that's in Corinth, then uses several phrases to describe who they are. He loves these folks. Absolutely loves them. He has great respect for them. He sees them as his brothers and sisters in Christ. Now listen to these things that he has called them in these few verses. Those that are sanctified in Jesus Christ. He calls them called to be saints with all other believers. Recipients of the grace of God. They were enriched in him. They confirmed the testimony about Christ. They were not lacking in any gift. They were guiltless. They were given the promise that Christ will sustain them until the end. To finish off as a greeting, he states very emphatically that God is faithful and that they have been called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. These are people that he led to Christ, that he raised them in the faith, and he loved them with a deep agape love. I think it's quite significant that here at the end of the 15th chapter of a 16-chapter letter, he again calls them his beloved brothers. He spent a significant amount of time throughout this letter correcting and chastising them for their error in belief and practice. It's it's almost comical how subject after subject, he rakes them over the coals. And yet here at the end of the letter he affirms their connectedness to him and to the gospel. What an affirmation that was. They are truly his brothers and sisters in Christ and that will never change. Even though they were in the proverbial doghouse he still loves them with a deep love. How encouraging that is. These Corinthians must have been very encouraged by Paul's persistent love for them. I'm sure that they had a better understanding of Christ because of Paul's Christ-like love for them. Okay. So much for the introduction. These are my two main points. Continue in the labor. And your labor is meaningful in the Lord. Let's look at that first. Paul was admonishing them to be steadfast and immovable in the gospel. He uses a similar phrase in the first verse of the chapter where he says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. Standing in the gospel. In which you stand, where am I? In my, in my. And by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, they were to be solidly grounded in their understanding of the gospel through their understanding of the word of God. Brings to my mind Psalm 1. The psalmist brings forth the word picture of a tree firmly planted by streams of water. This tree yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. It's a picture of one who holds fast to God's word. That tree has a deep root going deep into the soil to hold the tree itself firmly planted. Some of you will laugh at this, but I've been studying some horticulture lately. And I might have a better understanding of how Plants grow. The funny thing about that is that I got my degree from the University of Texas in zoology. And I got it in zoology, and I got a BA in zoology instead of a BS, because I didn't want to take botany, and I didn't want to take the second half of calculus for a grade. So I took the first half of calculus my first year as a freshman, my first semester as a freshman and i took my la- my second half of calculus my last semester as a senior there was a lot of there were a lot of cobwebs up there <laughs> so i didn't want to take botany as a student now i'm wanting to learn horticulture i recently rooted an avocado seed in some water The avocado seed put out a root, and that root grew in length and size for three weeks before it put out any stem. Since then, the stem has grown quite tall, and there are several leaves now coming from the tip of the stem. I've learned that the root system is there for the plant to absorb water and nutrients and then these elements are transported up the stem to the leaves for the purpose of growth and fruit. The roots also hold the plant firmly in the ground without a proper functioning root system. The plant has minimal growth and no fruit. It's also, either, it's also easily either knocked over or uprooted. Interestingly, in the parable of the sower, seeds sown in the rocky soil grew a very shallow root system that was unable to sustain the plant once things got tough. I think what Paul is saying in challenging them to steadfastness is for them to grow their roots deep down into the gospel, that they may stay steadfast whatever encounters them. He's challenging them to be equipped to answer questions that might challenge their beliefs in the gospel. Their depth and breadth of knowledge will help them to remain steadfast and immovable. The second challenge to them is continuing in the labor uh, In continuing in the labor is to abound in the work of the Lord. What's that mean? You might ask, we don't necessarily know what that means. Does that mean to be in full-time Christian service? Or does that mean working for him in cooking a meal? I think we, get, we can look at Colossians 3.17 to help us. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then later on in that third chapter of Colossians in verse 23, whatever you do, Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. I think that Paul is saying Whatever you do, do that work excellently in Christ. Do that work as unto him. Do that work so that when you see him face to face, he will say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. So in review, the first point, continue in the labor and do it well. Second point, the crux of the verse, essentially. Your labor is meaningful in the Lord. It is not in vain. We can easily get discouraged and weary in well doing. We can wonder what good it does for us to be faithful in our mission and in our obedience. If we do not see the intended results of our work, we think that there's no meaning to it. We're unable to see the results of our work with an eternal perspective. Throughout this whole chapter that he's given us assurance that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, our faith is based upon the reality of the resurrection and its eternal consequences. We have been given the promise of new spiritual life in Christ. We've been given the promise of a new imperishable body. And then eternal existence. With the Lord. As Paul said earlier in this chapter, if none of this is true, we are to be pitied. But because it is true, death is swallowed up in victory, and God deserves the thanks because he gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9 says, What I have seen. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those of us who love him. And the promise from Christ in Matthew 25, 34, come you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world as i said earlier this verse should be should be very encouraging to us laboring in christ and for christ brings a reward it's not in vain what's that mean for us who know christ personally And are walking with him. This verse is incredibly encouraging. Our labor isn't in vain. The Lord is glorified in the works that we do for him. The glories of heaven are in our future. An eternal life with the creator of the universe awaits us. We will get to see Jesus face to face. We will get to express to him our love for what he's done. Oh, how gloriously true this is. So grateful. So many of you in this room can share in this with me. There's others in this room who haven't felt or who have felt that in the past but are in a different place now. Maybe you feel burnt out. Maybe you have discouragement for any number of reasons. Maybe you've walked with the Lord and you've lost your zeal and it feels like the Lord is distant. Maybe you have guilt that you're not walking with the Lord as you really wish you were. Maybe you have relationships that need mending and you're not sure how to go about that. Maybe you have guilt that you're not walking with the Lord. I stand here today and I declare to you there's hope in Christ. Paul said it well to the Philippians when he said, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Look what Paul says. Forgetting what lies behind. Well, What, what did Paul have lying behind him? only persecuting new believers, bringing them to jail, seeing that they would be uh, executed, gathering them up before he came to Christ. Imagine how Paul would have been miserable if he continued to hang on to that. And yet he says, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Later he says that our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Forget what lies behind. Reach forward to what lies ahead. Confess your sin and receive the assurance of forgiveness of your sins and press on. Steadfast in the gospel. Immovable and abounding in good works. You two groups know Christ. You have participated in Christ. You have loved Christ, and he loves you. There's another group here. and You know who you are. You've never come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You're here for a reason today. To give you that opportunity. The scripture tells us that Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. We all were lost at one point and some of us have come to a saving knowledge of Christ. We did that by realizing that we were sinners and that our sin was keeping us separated from God. Does that describe you? Can you recognize that you are a sinner? And can you recognize that that's keeping you from Christ? keeping you from the creator of the universe. Because of that sin, we deserve punishment from God for our sin because he is what the Bible calls holy or set apart. Our sin keeps us from having a relationship with him. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. And then he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. There's good evidence that Christ is who he said he was. He rose from the dead. Our holy God sent his holy son to take upon himself our sins and pay the penalty for our sin death in order that we might receive the forgiveness of our sins and a new spiritual life he proved that by his resurrection from the dead by the power of God my challenge to you come to Jesus by confessing that you are a sinner repenting of your sin, and trusting in the life-giving death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Pray with me. Father, as we have been worshiping you today, our hearts are drawn to you because you are such a good God. You love us so much. And it's that love that has reached out to us and called us your own. Father, we thank you for the promise that you've made of eternal life and the promise that you've made of a heaven that we have only a very minimal understanding of how wonderful that will be. And we realize that all that we do for you is not in vain. You will reward that. You will reward that because you are a generous, giving, loving, wonderful God and Savior. Father, I pray for those that don't know you that are here. Father, draw them unto yourself.